hope you're paying attention to the words of that song that they just sang, because it really does focus on the glory of, of Jesus Christ. Think about this. I bring an offering of worship to my King. No one on earth deserves the praises that I sing. Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Then later it said, the sun cannot compare to the glory of your love. There is no shadow in your presence. No mortal man would dare to stand before your throne, before the Holy One of heaven. It's only by your blood. It's only through your mercy, Lord, I come. And so they just declared to us the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. The reality is, in our, in our lives, in our world, we tend to focus a great deal upon the glory of mankind, don't we? We get enamored with um, movie stars, with musicians, with athletes, with the lives of the rich and famous, with uh, people that are, are very creative or people that are very handsome or beautiful. We really do get enamored in our culture with the glory of mankind. And by doing that, we tend to not be as overwhelmed with the glory of God and the person of Jesus Christ. And yet that's really what the story of Christmas is all about. The idea of glory, uh, one of the words that's translated glory in the Bible means weight. So what do you give weight to? What do you and I give weight to in terms of saying, you know, that's somebody I'm really enamored with. That's someone who really causes me to be impressed with their glory. The reality is um, we often give weight to the wrong things. Sometimes we give weight to ourselves way too much. Matter of fact, I can tell you that in my own life, most of the problems I have in relationships I have found come from putting the focus way too much on myself, on my rights, my needs, my glory. And when I focus on the glory of Christ, it just eclipses all of that. It changes all of that. Interesting that... Um, when we open the Bibles, and I want you to turn with me to John chapter 1, we've been walking through this passage in the intro to John's gospel, a little different than the Christmas story in Luke that focuses on the shepherds or Matthew that focuses on the wise men. John establishes some very important themes about the coming of Jesus Christ. And in John 1, 14 to 18, this is our text for this morning. I want to read it for you. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, that is John the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But the only God, who is of the Father's right hand, he has made him known. It's interesting that um, one of the things that artists do really well is they not only use color, but they use light to draw us into a picture. And... Um, I have only one picture in my, my office, and it is a, it's only a print, it's not the original, believe me, of Rembrandt's painting, The Prodigal Returns. And one of the things that Rembrandt did in all of his painting is he would use shadow and he would use light to kind of focus our attention in on what he wanted to really emphasize. 
In this particular painting, you see in the dark shadows, there are people there, maybe one of them picturing the other son who wasn't so happy to have his brother back. But he's actually drawing us into the focus on the father's embrace of the son and in the hands of the father pulling the son towards him as the son has come back repentant and asking for forgiveness and be, be restored. You may wonder, why do I have that painting in my office? It's because every day I want to be reminded that that's my heavenly father and that's me. That I come to him as a sinner, one that is broken by sin, repentant and believing and receiving from God the grace and the mercy and the love of forgiveness. I hope that's how you see yourself. I also have that in my office there. So whenever I'm meeting with people, they see that and they're reminded that's our God and that is his glory. That is the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we think about Christmas, I, I want to encourage you to paint Christ this Christmas with a brush of glory. Paint, paint Jesus Christ in your life with a brush of the glory of God. I want you to see in this passage that we behold, as we paint Christ that way, the glory of God unveiled in Christ. John writes, the word, and that means the self-disclosure, the revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. John opens his gospel saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Uh, that, that word is, is the self-disclosure of God. Paul says it this way in Colossians 1.15, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The God you can't see, you now can see in the person of Jesus. The author of Hebrews says that God made himself known through many different ways and many different times through the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken unto us by his son, by whom he made the worlds. Friends, God has made himself known in a lot of different ways. You look at a star-filled sky, and the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. I mean, don't you see the glory of God when you look up into the universe? And, and God has revealed himself to us in Scripture. But ultimately and finally, God reveals his glory to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He is the word made flesh. Jesus existed from eternity past as God. Jesus didn't have a beginning in the manger when he was born. He existed as God from eternity. But what happened in the incarnation is God, the infinite God, took upon himself human flesh. I mean, you think about the mystery of this. Infinite God wrapped in finite mankind. The omnipotent one in a manger dependent upon his mother. The one that whom uh, uh, Solomon said that all the universe couldn't contain him, now wrapped in human flesh. I want to tell you, this is a mysterious, awesome thing, that God became flesh. We're told here that he became flesh, and the, the, the glory of God was seen in him. He dwelt among us. We, be, we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me ask you a question. What is the glory of God? John makes much of it here. He says, we've seen his glory. But what is it that we call the glory of God? I used to think that the glory of God was just one of the many different characteristics or attributes of God, like grace and mercy and holiness and righteousness. Till one day, 
I was sitting in a seminary class, and it was a defining moment. Matter of fact, in all of my seminary education, this one class was worth the price of the education because it blew my circuits. I could never wrap my mind around God again after that class. Joe Crawford was the professor. He's home in heaven, and believe me, he's basking in the glory of God. And he's describing to us what glory is. I'll never forget this moment. He says, students, the glory of God is not one in a list of his attributes. The glory of God is the outraying of all of his attributes. And he says, not only that, but when you think about the glory of God, every attribute of God intersects with every other attribute of God. And, and he began to describe this in a way I had never thought about it. God's sovereignty is a loving sovereignty and a holy sovereignty and a righteous sovereignty and a merciful sovereignty, and it is an everywhere present sovereignty, and it is an all, it's an all-powerful sovereignty. And you take every attribute of God and multiply it by every other attribute of God, that is the glory of God. And all of a sudden, I couldn't simply think of God as a list of attributes anymore. Some of you took biology. And maybe you dissected a frog. You learned a lot about the frog, but the frog was dead when you were done. Sometimes in theology, we dissect God into a list of attributes, and we totally lose what it means for God to be a God of glory. Uh, for those of you, anybody here that really likes math, you like math or accounting or you are an accountant, don't be embarrassed. I like math. Algebra is my favorite subject in high school, okay? Some of you hate math. Listen, let me just play with your mind a little bit with this. Supposing we put a numeric value to every attribute of God. So we're going to say the grace of God is worth a trillion. And the power of God is worth three trillion. And the holiness of God is worth two trillion. Whatever you want to put to it. But then you have to multiply that times each other times each other, times every other attribute of God, and then you total it up, and it is mind-blowing. Friends, when you think about the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ, when you paint him with a brush of glory, it needs to be in such a way that you can't wrap your mind around that God. When you see God that way, when you understand the glory of God, friends, you never can get enamored with another human being or what human beings can accomplish in all their brilliance, in all of their giftedness, because nobody compares. There's none more powerful than Jesus Christ. There's none more majestic than Jesus Christ. There's none more sovereign than Jesus Christ. There's none more loving than Jesus Christ. There's none more merciful than Jesus Christ. So John goes on in this passage, and look what he says. As he, as he describes the attributes of God, he said, he is the word who dwelt among us. Literally, that means he pitched his tent among us. That's what it means. God in glory, in the person of Jesus Christ, pitched his tent among us. I'm going to show you a picture here on the screen. Um, it, it is a, an image of what it may have looked like for the tabernacle of God in the book of Exodus and the, throughout the, the wanderings of, of Israel in the wilderness. So God told where every one of the 12 tribes were to place themselves and the tribe of Levi around the middle. And in the middle of the tribe of Levi, so at the dead center of the camp, God's tent was to be pitched. 
And that tent was to be the place of worship and the place of sacrifice. There was where God dwelt among his people. And and the glory of God was seen as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And from any place, children could step out of the, the tent and they could look in the middle and they would see the presence of God, the glory of God in that pillar of fire, in that pillar of smoke. And they would say, there's God present among his people in his glorious presence. How awesome would that be? John takes that picture and says the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. In other words, what happened in the incarnation is that God showed up in greater glory than he did in the wilderness in the, in the tabernacle. God tabernacled. The message translation says it this way. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. God's glory revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, how awesome is that? When you think about the glory of God, think about um, some of the different people who experienced the glory of God in the Bible. I mean, Moses. Think about Moses. The burning bush. God speaks and, and, and presents himself to Moses, gives him his name. Moses goes down into Egypt, and there in the plagues, God shows his power and authority over all the gods of Egypt and all, over all the power of Egypt. God leads his people through that pillar of cloud and fire to the parting of the Red Sea and, and rescues his people. He leads his people, and then God says, Moses, I want you to come up on Mount Sinai, and I'm going to give you my revelation. I'm going to give you my law. And Moses, as you remember, he comes down, and his face is actually radiating the fact he's been in the presence of this glorious God. And after all of that experience, after all that he had seen of the glory of God, Moses prays this one day. Imagine this. After all he had seen, Moses says, God, show me your glory. I want more of your glory. So God says, Moses, uh, nobody can see my glory and live. It would kill you, Moses, if you saw my unveiled glory. So um, I'm going to put you in a place in the rock, going to cover you with my hand, and I'm going to pass by. And when I do that, God, God passed by, so there was the visual of his glory, and God then said this. Catch this. This is in Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. The Lord God passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, Jehovah, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses' prayer is, God, show me your glory. And God's answer is not only to visually represent that for him, but God himself spoke about his own attributes. You know what God's saying? My glory is the sum total of all of my attributes. It is the magnificence. It is the splendor. It is the majesty of all that I am. So God himself 
recorded his own attributes to Moses saying, that's my glory, Moses. That's what my glory is all about. You think through the Old Testament. Solomon builds God a temple. And the day that the temple is dedicated with great music and choir and band and beautiful music, God's glory so fills the temple, his presence of glory fills the presence so that the priest couldn't even serve. There was no room left for any human being to do anything because the glory of God so was manifest among his people. The prophets saw the glory of God. Isaiah, the prophet in Isaiah chapter 6, records these words. He was in the temple, and he saw the Lord high and lifted up, exalted, and seated on a throne. He heard the angelic beings crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the temple shook. And the train of God's glory filled the temple, and the smoke so filled it that Isaiah was overwhelmed with a sense of his own sinfulness. And friends, when you get to see the glory of God, you get to see yourself. And the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Isaiah said, God, woe is me. I deserve your judgment because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And God, in his mercy and grace, sent an angel to catarize his lips and to cleanse him. The prophet Ezekiel, first chapter of his book, starts off with a vision of God's glory. It is the most detailed that we get until we get to the book of Revelation. Ezekiel sees this vision of God's glory, and it is radiant and it's spectacular. He sees these um, angelic beings on the four corners underneath this vision that he sees, and these angels have four different faces, the face of an ox, the face of a man, the face of an angel, the face of a lion. And then he sees this radiant platform, and, and he describes all of these different jewels that are a part of this representation of God. He sees under the platform wheels in the midst of a wheel filled with eyes. What in the world is that about? It's revealing God's omnipresence and God's all-knowing omniscience. He sees a throne in the midst of that showing God's sovereignty and a rainbow around the throne showing God's faithfulness. And the, and the whole book of Ezekiel is just focused on the glory of God and the movement of God's glory ultimately out of the temple because of the idolatry of the people and a future promise of that coming back again. Daniel. Uh, he's in the glory of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is emperor, king of kings, emperor. And, and Daniel is called in to interpret a dream. And, and the dream is this multi-metaled image. Daniel interprets it. The head's gold. That's you, Nebuchadnezzar. That's Babylon. Uh, the, the chest is silver representing the kingdom that's going to follow, Medo-Persia. Uh, the, the legs that represents the brass that's going to be Greece. And the legs are of iron, and that's Rome. And the toes are iron mixed with clay, picturing the, the regathered Roman Empire. But then there was a stone cut without hands that crushed the multi-metaled image, ground it to a powder, and then filled the whole earth. 
And Daniel tells us that that is the glory of Jesus Christ coming in his kingdom. I want to tell you, the prophets were not impressed with other people's glory. And they weren't impressed with their own glory. You know why? They were so impressed, Moses, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, with the glory of God, that they couldn't be impressed with mankind's glory anymore. That's why they were so faithful to God. That's why they worshiped God the way they did. You know, John tells us here, look at verse, um, again at verse uh, 18. John says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who was at the Father's side and he made him known. Can I tell you a moment of great foolishness in my life? I was a young boy working on the dairy farm. I remember this moment. And God had given to me a consciousness of him, and I wanted to know him better. And I remember praying a very stupid prayer that day in the, in, the, in the barn. I want to tell you how stupid this prayer was. I prayed, God, if you're real, would you just show up and make yourself known? I hope you never pray that prayer. That was a really dumb prayer. And if God had shown up, it would have killed me anyways. And I thought, what? And later, when I'm actually studying the Bible, I said, what an idiotic prayer for me to pray. God, show up and show yourself. He already did in the person of Jesus. He already did when God became flesh and dwelt among us. And God owes me nothing beyond that to make himself real and known to me. Matter of fact, John says, no one has ever seen God at any time. But the only begotten Son of the Father, He has fully and completely and totally and radically made Him known. So friends, we need to believe that the glory of God has been revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And we need to receive the glory of God full of grace and truth in Christ. If you're going to paint Christ with a brush of glory this Christmas then you need to receive from him. You need to receive his glory full of grace and truth. John talks about receiving Jesus in verse 12. He said, all who did receive him, to them who believed on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Friend, I hope, I hope that you have personally received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because a relationship with Jesus Christ isn't about just coming to church or just getting baptized or joining a joining an organization, it is about a faith-based relationship, responding to his grace and receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And John talks about that. And he says that um, we have, from his fullness, we have received, verse 16, grace upon grace. Verse uh, 14, this glory of God, the only Son of the Father, was full of grace and truth. The law came through Moses, verse 17, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So of his fullness we have received, full of grace and full of truth. You see, when you paint Jesus with a brush of glory, you're going to focus in on his grace and you're going to focus in on his truth. Why? Because grace is the way that God has made possible for you to be reconciled to him and to be forgiven of your sins and to be redeemed. 
Grace refers to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross where he died in your place. God couldn't just accept you the way you are because he's too holy. He's too righteous. He's too just. But God in his mercy and his love in the person of Jesus Christ provided all of the grace that you need. God did that in the person of Jesus. And truth is the ultimate reality of God's character and God's will and God's wisdom revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. By the way, in in our relationships with people, some people I've known are real truth tellers. They have no problem confronting people. They just speak the truth. You know what I'm talking about? You may be like that. And some people are very, very gracious and they like to be kind and nice and they don't like to get into it with people so they, they just are full of grace. Jesus Christ is full of grace and full of truth all the time. And the likeness of Jesus Christ means that if we take on his likeness, we will be truth tellers and we will be gracious in our dealing with others all the time. Are you that way at home? Is your communication with your mate, with your children, with your parents, with one another, with your friends, are you characterized by grace? Are you characterized by truth? Are you a truth teller? Do you speak truth to help people, to encourage people, and sometimes to challenge people? And are you characterized by grace? Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. It says here that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, please don't misunderstand this. What John is not saying is that there was no grace and truth in the law of Moses. Matter of fact, there was a lot of grace in the law because it showed the way to God through sacrifice, through the Levitical priesthood. It was all pointing towards the cross and, and, and looking towards that. There was grace, but he's saying that the ultimate grace of God was seen in the person of Jesus Christ, that that which is prophesied in the Old Testament is now fulfilled in Christ. That which was pictured in the law now finds its meaning in Christ. And the truth that was revealed there now finds its ultimate expression in the person of Jesus Christ. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth in its fullness, in its maximum way, shows up when God became flesh and dwelt among us. That's why in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews talks about that Jesus is better than Moses. His sacrifice is better than those sacrifices. That's why in the book of Romans, we see that, that the glory of God in Jesus Christ was, was made it possible for us to be declared righteous before God. That's why the book of Galatians says we are actually liberated from the law in Jesus Christ because the fullness of grace and truth is found in Jesus. Jonathan Parnell said this, Grasping the glory of Jesus is not an extracurricular activity to our discipleship. It is our discipleship. And who he is defines who we are. If we know anything, let us know him. The glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. The glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Friends, if you're going to paint Jesus with a brush of glory, there's one other thing we need to do. We need to humbly bear witness of him. We need to humbly bear witness of him. Look at what we read about John the Baptist in verse 15. John bore witness about him. And he cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John the Baptist is this pivotal figure at the entrance of every one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 
uh, all of them focused on John the Baptist. Uh, not only that he was the forerunner, but John actually is a model for us of humility and what it means to bear witness of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, look back to verse um, 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came for a witness to bear witness about the light, that's Jesus, that all through him I believe. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness of that light. In other words, John came to reflect Jesus as the light of the world to people who were living in darkness. He is that witness of humility. He demonstrates what it is to know Christ. And from verse 19 all the way down to um, about the middle of the 30s in this passage, there's a, a, an expanded view about who John the Baptist is and what he said. Chapter 3, you come back to John the Baptist, and Pastor Joel's going to unfold that for us next week. But I want you to think about this. John the Baptist, one of the greatest examples of humility in the Bible, other than Jesus Christ. John the Baptist here said that he was, um, he was the one who, Jesus is the one who comes before me, and he was before me. The, the leader of the Jews, the Jewish Bureau of Investigation, show up to check out John the Baptist and said, who are you? Who should we say you are to those who sent us? And he said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not that prophet. All I am is a voice. Talk about humility. Later in chapter 3, he says, he must increase and I must decrease. John the Baptist was constantly pointing away from himself to Jesus. He says, behold the Lamb of God, and two of his disciples, John the Baptist, start following Jesus. He always was pointing people to Jesus, away from himself. Friends, listen. If you want to be miserable in your life and make everybody miserable around you, I want to give you the shortcut of how to do that. Just focus on yourself. And try with all of your power to get everyone else to focus on you, to, to focus on your rights, on your needs, and to manipulate everyone around you to focus on you. Friends, if you want to be miserable, that's the shortcut to do it. John the Baptist did the opposite. John the Baptist painted Jesus with a brush of glory, and it was all about him. It was all about Jesus, the Lamb of God. It was all about Jesus, the Messiah. It was all about Jesus and his glory. And friends, if you want to be joyful and you want to be a person who makes a difference in the lives of other people, follow the example of John the Baptist and humbly focusing, painting Christ with a brush of glory so that the light is shining on him rather than the light shining on you. As we wrap up this morning, this Christmas, wouldn't it be a great Christmas if all of us focused on painting Jesus with a brush of glory. In our homes, where we work, where we interact with other people, that, that we made much of Christ. I'm not talking about the cute Jesus in the manger. I'm talking about the glorious Savior and King. And, and painting him with a brush of glory before others and bearing witness of him to other people. Every one of you have people in your life that work for you, with you, in your neighborhood, go to school with you, and those people this Christmas need to know Jesus. And we can be like John the Baptist. We can take the brush and we can paint Jesus with the brush of glory and, and, and invite them to a Christmas Eve service or invite them to our homes and share with them how Christ has changed our lives. And when we do that, 
People who are broken because of sin can find forgiveness because of the Savior. So think about how we can celebrate the glory of God completely revealed in Christ. Four things. Believe, friends, that God's glory wrapped itself in Christ. Believe that the best way to get to know God is to look at the person of Jesus Christ. You want to know God? Know Jesus. Believe that God wrapped his, his glory in the flesh of Jesus, that God pitched his tent among us in the glory of God. And know Christ, God's glory by learning more about Christ. Friends, God in the ultimate and maximum way put his glory on display through the person of his son. And if you want to know what God's really like, friends, then get to know much of Jesus and make much of Jesus. Because he is the glory of God wrapped in human flesh. And the more you know Jesus, the more you say, that's exactly what God is like. Friends, when you're dealing with suffering in your life, know that the God that you struggle with in your suffering is the same God that wrapped himself in human flesh and lived on this planet and went to the cross and died to deal with the root cause behind all human suffering. Know God by knowing Jesus. Thirdly, you need to, you need to understand that when you focus on who God is in the person of Jesus Christ, you worship God for grace and truth. That the glory of God was manifest through the grace of God in the person of Jesus. God made a way for you to be brought back to a relationship with him. And this may be you today. That you need to come back to God on his terms. And humble yourself before him and say, God, I need your grace. And I need your truth. I need you. And finally, reflect God's glory by sharing Christ with others. Who is it in your life that God wants you to share Jesus with this Christmas? Who's the person you ought to be praying for, reaching out to, showing love to, expressing the glory of God? Like John the Baptist, as you humble yourself before them and before God, God can use you in an amazing way this Christmas. There's probably no other time of the year when people are more responsive and more needy, more lonely and more broken, more open, more receptive than a Christmas time to receive the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for making yourself known. Thank you for, Lord Jesus, taking upon human flesh the greatest mystery of all of human history. That God became man and pitched his tent among us and put on display your glory full of grace and truth. God, may we not think small thoughts of you. May your glory so blow the circuits of our brains so that we can't even conceive of how great and glorious you are. So we can't wrap our minds around you that we can only humbly worship you. I believe that in the person of Jesus Christ, that glory showed up on this planet. 
and the miracles, Jesus, that you performed. Raising Lazarus, turning water into wine, feeding the hungry people, changing the lives of people. Lord Jesus, you prayed, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before. You put on display the glory of the Father. God, in our lives, in this church, may we paint Christ with a brush of glory. In his name that we pray. Paint Jesus with a brush of glory. Say it with me. Paint Jesus with a brush of glory. The children did such a great job earlier reading scripture to us. And the passage that they read talks about the glory of God twice. In Luke chapter 2, when the angels appeared before the shepherds, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And at the end, they, they the crescendo was... Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So we have a message of the glory of Jesus Christ to share, to live, to be able to communicate with other people.